attention to the word of God in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in the 14th verse, verse 20, uh, verses 14 through 21. We're not going to read all the verses, but I do want to direct your attention uh, to verse 15, where the Lord says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, and naked. Let us pray. Grab somebody's hand right now, and going forward as we are studying the Word of God, I'm going to ask you in reverence to the Word of God, wherever you are, we're going to stand as the Word of God is read. We're not together, but let's honor the Word of God wherever you are, and we're going to have church together. But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Touch and agree with me as we go before our Heavenly Father. Father, in the powerful name of Christ, we bow to you, understanding that all authority and power is in his hands. And God, we are asking as we are sending up petitions from heaven, from earth to heaven, that you would release even right now your divine blessing. God, I'm praying that you would release an answer today for those who have been praying for direction. God, I'm praying right now that you would release by your spirit as we are coming together in agreement, that you would release healing, oh God. Oh God, I'm praying that you would release a job that is needed for a family that's struggling. God, I'm praying right now that you would release in the place of sadness that you would release your divine joy. Father, I thank you in advance for how you're going to continue to bless us as we level up as a church. For we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And the church said, amen, 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 amen. It's good to have some of the brethren in the house today. And I pray and I'm excited for the time when we'll be able to get together and worship and, and uh, celebrate together again in person. Amen. Amen. Stop winging it. Because when we do, we make the Lord sick. If you are a true Philadelphia 76ers fan, you have to agree that pound for pound, the greatest player that ever donned a Sixers uniform was none other than Bubba Chuck Allen Iverson. Now, he had an illustrious career, but there are two iconic events that are remembered nationally and internationally as the bookmarks of Allen Iverson's celebrated NBA career. You remember it was during the NBA championship under Coach Larry Brown. The Sixers were the underdog, and it was game one against the L.A. Lakers, and uh, Allen Iverson seemingly had been stifled by the smothering defense of the Lakers. And then he makes his iconic play, Tyrone Lue, who'd been grabbing and pushing and tripping 
Allen Iverson makes this amazing move. He jukes uh, Teron loose so bad that he actually falls to the floor. And Allen Iverson takes his sweet jump shot. You remember, you can, I can still see it as if it was yesterday. And, and the ball swishes through the nets. And then here's where the, the iconic uh, event occurs. He lifts up that left leg. You remember, you remember, and he steps over Tyrone Lou and looks down at him. And, and it just, that was the, that, that was, once he did that, that was like, we, that, that's a memory that will live in infamy for us. Then there's one other iconic occurrence in the career of Allen Iverson that did not occur on the basketball court. You remember he was being interviewed about Coach Brown's comments having to do with Allen Iverson not attending practice. And when he came, he was late. And so Allen rocks back in his chair and he says, practice, practice. We talking about practice. We ain't talking about no real game where I give my blood, sweat, and tears. But we talking about practice. And he said, how can me practicing make my teammates better? Practice. Why are we talking about practice? When Allen Iverson made those comments, he revealed something that is true of too many Christians. You see, he had the skills and the gifts as a player that Allen Iverson could literally stay out all night drinking, clubbing, gambling, not sleep, and still play a game, score 40 points, and play 46 minutes of a 48-minute game and be the best player on the floor. He was able to wing it. <laughs> he was able to perform without practice, without developing his craft, without discipline. He was able to just put it on automatic pilot. He was just that good. And I believe that there are Christians who have learned Christianity, the terminology of the faith, and we can turn that thing on and off, and we're operating on automatic pilot, and we ain't spent a minute of prayer time with the Lord. We haven't cracked the Bible in weeks or even months, but we are able to make that flip of switch because we've learned how to wing it. We've learned how to wing it. Uh, he didn't feel the need to practice. Can you imagine how many championships Allen Iverson, even though he's a Hall of Famer, he made it to the Hall of Fame, just on giftedness. But if he had actually disciplined himself, how many championships could, have Allen, could Allen Iverson have won? Allen Iverson might still be in the league if he hadn't winged it. It finally caught up to him and it ultimately marked the end of his career in the NBA. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, we meet a local congregation named the Church of Laodicea. They were a church that was serving the Lord on cruise control. They were winging it. When the Lord says to them, 
he says uh, in, in, to them, so because you are lukewarm, going through the motions on spiritual cruise control, routine has become your highest expectation. Just keeping it moving, stagnant and dull when it involves serving Christ, because you are capable but not committed, unmotivated to go deeper in the Lord spiritually, you're satisfied with just being an average Christian and giving Christ less than your best. You chilling. The Lord says, you lukewarm, you chilling, you average, you comfortable with routine being your highest expectation. The Lord says, you make me sick. That's what the word, he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. The word for spit is literally, I feel like vomiting. You turn my stomach. Average Christians turn the stomach of the Lord. Those who take the position that we're just keeping it moving. We ain't going to get all deep and heavy and make this more complicated. Uh, we're going to take the easy route. The Lord says, you're lukewarm and you make me sick. Now, before we look more closely at this passage, and I'm going to share four things from the Word of God about how we can overcome being the average Christian, the Christian that's on cruise control, the Christian that is stagnant spiritually, the Christian that, that is not moving into a deeper relationship with Christ. You have a boring, dull Christian life. No excitement, no enthusiasm, no initiative. You're lukewarm. You're not cold, you're not hot, you're tepid. Lord says, you turn my stomach. Now, before we get into, as I said, the, the, the meat of the passage, let me share what I believe are the five causes of becoming a lukewarm Christian, average Christian, going through the motions. The first reason I believe that Christians fall into this trap is fatigue. We're tired. Most of the work in the church is done by 5% of the membership. And the church is like this, a, a great uh, football stadium. You've got 22 players on the field who are at the brink of total exhaustion and 60,000 fans who need to get off their backsides and onto the field. And so what happens when you're fatigued, we begin to serve the Lord out of duty, not out of devotion. We are completing assignments because they have to be done, not because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and therefore we want to honor the Lord. And so fatigue can lead to lukewarmness. Fun, fun, yes, F-U-N. You're just doing you. Serving Christ for some Christians is a hobby, not a passion. Christianity is for some Christians like a part-time hustle. You give your time, your talent in the temple based on what you get. If you ain't feeling it, you ain't doing it. <laughs> so it's about you getting, and as long as you feel like you getting, that you like this Uber driver for God, as long as the the meter is running, you serving. When the meter stops running, you out. And so fun can lead to lukewarmness. 
false confidence in church members who have been in the church for years. They've been trained. They have degrees, some of them. You've been teachers. You've read all the books. You, you've led ministries. And now you have this level of spiritual confidence that makes you think you, you've arrived. You all of that. People look up to you. They call you reverend and doctor and pastor and bishop and, and apostle. And so you have a false confidence that will cause us, in fact, from the Lord's perspective, you're lukewarm. You're not cold or hot. You're in between, and the Lord says, you're nauseating. Here's another cause of lukewarmness, faking it until you make it. Faking it until you make it. Some Christians live life like they are on a stage performing before an admiring crowd or sometimes critical audience. And what matters most is faking it to make it, is to those who are faking it to make it, is public appearance. You want to give the appearance that all is well. You're on fire for the Lord, you're excited, you're jubilant, when in reality, you're operating on E and your private life has completely fallen apart. Faking it until we make it are often the description that characterizes a whole group of Christians who are really lukewarm and are turning the stomach of God. You're just operating on a stage waiting for the applause of an audience or people to be your secret and also public admirer. Here's the final thing as we move into the sermon. Focus that lacks intentionality. Focus that lacks an intentionality can lead us to lukewarmness. And what I mean by that, you lack a plan to prioritize and growing spiritually. You have not made a plan for how you will add to your faith. You don't have a plan for prayer. You don't have a plan for evangelism. You don't have a plan for developing, uh, uh, giving God control over your finances. You don't have a plan for how to lead your family, how to lead your wife, how to be what God wants you to be as a wife. You don't have a focused plan. You're just winging it. Winging it. Now, when we turn our attention back to the passage before us, this church at Laodicea, there are four things that are going to help us not to be guilty of, of just going through the motions, being on cruise control, impressing people outwardly, but God sees the heart. He sees that you're just playing church. Here's the first of the four things. You need to have right accountability. You need to have the right accountability, accountability is necessary. The second thing we're going to see in verse 15 and 16a is that you need to have the right awareness, the right spiritual awareness, accountability, verse 14, awareness, verses 15 and 16a. And third, fourth, thirdly, you're going to need to have the right attitude, the right attitude, the right attitude, verses 16b and 17. And finally, you're going to need to have the right actions to move from just going through the motions, giving the impression that you're what you're really not. And really, your, your Christian life is a big yawn. There's nothing exciting. There's no bubble. There's no joy. There's no overflow. There's no evidence of goodness and mercy following you. There's no evidence that the joy of the Lord is really your strength. 
And so we'll see in verse 14, he says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, I want you to consider who the Lord holds accountable first in the church. He says, to the angel or the messenger of the church at Laodicea. And we've seen in our study of the previous six churches from Revelation chapter 1 that the messenger or the angel in the singular tense is the pastor of the church. When the Lord holds the church accountable, he doesn't start with the elders or the deacons or the core team leaders. or the No, the first office he knocks on the door is the shepherd of that church, the shepherd of that flock. He holds the pastor accountable for the spiritual condition of the church. He addresses this letter as he did with the previous six letters to the angel of the church. And the interesting thing about the Laodicean church, this is the only one of the seven churches that the Lord had nothing good to say about. This was a messed up church. This was a carnal church. He holds the pastor accountable. Let me share some reasons why the Lord holds the pastor accountable first. First of all, we, we'll see, if you get an option, just write these scriptures down. John chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, that entire chapter where Jesus is talking about the role of a shepherd to the flock or to the members that are, that are the body that is following him. Stay with me. Sheep can only follow one shepherd. That's one of the reasons the Lord starts with the Lord, because there's only one voice that the sheep are going to hear. Listen to what the scripture says. And when he brings out his sheep, his own sheep. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will not by any means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. God has so designed the church that sheep, the followers, the members of the church, can only hear one voice. When there are multiple voices trying to lead the church, the sheep become confused. And so God starts with the pastor being accountable because the sheep hear his voice. Here's the second reason. Sheep do not call pastors. God does the calling through the sheep that are led by his spirit. God calls. The sheep simply acknowledge what God brings to light. I like what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. He says, but even before I was born, before I was born, well, Paul didn't even have anything to do with this. He says, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And so the pastor is called by God even before he understands the call of God on his life. Paul says, when I was being formed in my mother's womb, even before the foundations of the earth were formed, God had already determined that I would be a pastor by his marvelous grace. He said, then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. He saved me so that I could understand the call, that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to Gentiles, 
And he says, when this happened, I did not run to consult to get confirmed by flesh and blood. Paul didn't become a pastor after the apostles acknowledged that he was called. He was a pastor because God called him. And the apostles simply laid hands in response to the evidence of the gift in Paul's life. And so sheep don't call pastors. God does. But he uses the sheep that are led by the Spirit. Here's another reason why God holds the pastor accountable first. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them and feed them. What the Bible says, I'm going to share some things. It says sheep need spiritual direction. They need spiritual direction. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he says, When I looked out over Jerusalem and I saw the multitude of people, he said, I felt compassion on them, for they were like a, they were like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They lacked direction. And so sheep without a pastor don't have direction. Sheep without a shepherd lack protection. Here's what Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2 says. It says, so my people are wandering like lost sheep. They are attacked because they have no shepherd. Oh, that's heavy on my heart right now because we don't assemble together. I can't see you. That the Lord says, without a shepherd, the, the sheep are unprotected. And then here's the third reason. Sheep lack connection without a shepherd. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 5 says, So they were scattered because, they, because there was no shepherd. They were scattered, and they became food for all of the beasts in the field when they were scattered. He's not talking about a, a literal lambs. He's talking about his, the congregation of Israel without a shepherd there was no connection. There was no fellowship. There was no building up in order for the people to remain strong in the Lord. And so we see three reasons that the shepherd is, is, is where God starts at. The shepherd provides protection. The shepherd provides direction and connection. And God says, here's what I do to shepherds who fail to protect, direct, and connect my people. He said, listen to uh, verses 7 through 10 in the book of Ezekiel chapter 34. And read that when you get an opportunity. He says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, saith the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal, by false teachers. And though you were my shepherds, God's under shepherds, you did not search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourself and left the sheep to starve. Then verse 10 says, I now consider you shepherds my enemies, and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will hold the shepherds, the pastors, responsible for what has happened to the flock. I will take away their rights to feed the flock, and I will stop them from feeding themselves. And so, pastors, God starts at your office first because it is the job of the pastor to direct and protect and connect. And when we don't, God says, I consider you picked the fight with me because ultimately the sheep belong to me, but I'm giving you the responsibility, the stewardship of being the spiritual covering over the local church. And when you don't, you are my enemy. 
Now, Christ has the authority to hold the pastor and all Christians accountable and all leadership accountable. The Greek word in verse 14, he says, For, because I am the amen. I am the amen. The word amen means, say, means it is so. I agree. So Christ doesn't say I am a amen, <laughs> or an amen in the crowd. He said, I am the amen. He said, it is so because I said it is so, and I made it so even if you don't believe that it's so. Only God <laughs> can say amen to himself. He is the final authority of what is true and what is untrue, what is agreeable and what is acceptable. And so we can be held accountable by Christ because of his deity. He is the amen. It is so because he said it so and made it so, even if you don't agree that it is so. Not only is he deity, but we can also, he can also hold us accountable because the Bible says he is faithful. He is faithful. That word has to do uh, uh, with his reliability. He has a perfect track record. He has always kept his word. He's always come through. And so he has a right to have authority over holding me accountable because of his reliability. He's faithful. He's also the true witness. That has to do with Jesus' impartiality. He judges righteously. He judges fairly. He never makes a mistake. He weighs the scales of justice and balance. And so we can trust him because of his impartiality, because of his reliability, because of his deity. We can also trust him because the Bible says that he is the God of creation, the ruler of creation. That means that he not only, the Bible says, without him, nothing that was made was made, but not only did Jesus create everything that is made, because he is the word, God said, let it be, and the word that he spoke was the Logos word, and it was, but he's also, he has superiority, he is the ruler over all creation. And so he can hold us accountable because of his superiority, hold us accountable because of his deity, hold us accountable because of his reliability and his impartiality. The Lord has the right to hold us accountable. And one of the things that was uh, this week as I was preparing for Bible study, and it was, it was getting into Tuesday, and before I could even start studying, I had uh, hours of work to do related to hospice uh, documentation. And then finally, now it's about 9.30 on a Tuesday, and I'm just beginning to open up my Bible. Bible, and as I'm preparing, the Lord says, you're winging it. You're winging it. And the Holy Spirit just crushed me. I said, I don't want you winging it when it comes to my church. I don't want you just putting stuff together because you can put it together. And I thought, I couldn't, I couldn't write a line. I couldn't read another line. I just began to weep because I knew that the Holy Spirit was telling the truth. I was just going through the motions. I got to get this done. Wednesday is coming. It's my turn to be up. And the Holy Spirit says, you're winging it. Which each passing day as I think about the members that are scattered, as I think about the voice of the shepherd that needs to be heard, my heart is to become so heavy, Lord. I don't want to be guilty of anyone that is not being touched or reached because of some failure on my part because I'm winging it. 
I don't want to be guilty of winging it. And the truth is, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. I don't want anybody to hear from me until I've heard from God. I pray that you would continue to pray for me as I work to downsize my life and make myself fully available to this flock. The church needs their pastor to direct them and to, direct, to protect them and connect them, especially during COVID and going forward. We, we already are, are in another place. And so I need your prayers. And so we need the right accountability. You didn't know what was happening to me on Wednesday night, but God, Jesus knew, Jesus knew, he knew. And that's why we need to be aware in verses 15 and 16a, the Lord says, I know your deeds. You got it done. The notes were great, but I know that you're neither cold nor hot, that you're operating out of duty, not devotion. I wish that you were either one or the other, that you're not just chilling and going through the motions and being comfortable with routine becoming your greatest expectation when it comes to me. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to throw you up. You make me sick. You need to be aware of at least two things regarding what the Lord says in these verses. First of all, we need to know that the Lord reviews our works. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God or one of the things that is challenging us in this pandemic, nobody's watching what you're doing away from this church. But God, who searches the heart, knows every idle word. He knows every idle thought. He reviews your works. And the Bible says each one of us will give an account when we stand before the Lord. Not only does the Lord review our works, but he reveals the true quality of our works. He says, you're neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. I know other people were impressed. I know people were blessed. And uh, please don't start judging me. Oh, it don't look like he was really uh, devoted when he studied this time. No, 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 no. God is my judge. You just keep your house clean. See some self-righteous jokers right now. Yeah, I'm going to really listen to the lesson now. We need to understand that we have an audience of one that we must please. And he will reveal, the Bible says, every man's work shall be judged, shall be revealed according to what sort it is. The Lord is going to reveal. He said, I know your real stuff. Now, why do we perform our best when the lights are brightest? Let me tell you why. Because we love the spotlight. We seem to work harder when the applause are the loudest. The bigger the church, if you get a chance to work and get, you get up front and you're going to be on, on the camera, you're going to be there. But if it's just regular Sunday school, <laughs> I don't know. I ain't feeling that today. Why do we wait for the spotlight? 
why did we wait for the spotlight? I remember, uh, I've I, I shared this before, I, I, I was a lazy kid. I want you to know one of the characteristics of a lukewarm Christian, the real bottom line is when it comes to the work of the Lord, you're lazy. You're a sluggard. You're just on spiritual vacation all the time. You might you should just come to church with a, with a, with a shirt on, with the with palm, you know, palm trees and the, uh, the, the, the nice umbrella drink and some slip flip-flops. So I, I, I was a lazy kid, and so my mom would say, you can go out when you clean your room. And man, I could get that room clean in about seven minutes flat. And then she said, okay, you can go out. I said, Mom, I'm finished. You can go out. And I take off. But she, what she didn't know is that I put everything I could fit under my bed. That's where it was. I had a long blanket. Sometimes I have so much under my bed, that boy wrapped like a boat. You thought I was on the ocean line, man. But every now and again, Lucinda, my mother, she would come upstairs. I said, I'm done, Mom. She said, okay, I'm about to reveal. I'm about to, I'm about to review your work. And she would come up, and i sit on the bed in the middle of the bed trying to keep it from rocking. And the first place she would go, she would lift up the blade. Oh, God, why did she do that? Because she knew where to look. She knew where I hid my stuff. She knew I had cut corners. She knew I was trying to chill. I was trying to get rewarded without the labor. I want you to know that there are a bunch of lazy Christians. When it comes to the Lord, we break our necks to, to, to get the best for ourselves and the best for our children. But when it comes to the Lord, it don't, it don't take all that we say. Keep it moving. The Lord said, you make me sick. Wouldn't you be offended if somebody said to you, you make me sick? That's the Lord said, I don't care. I have evaluated. I know that this stuff is just thrown together. I know that this isn't your best. I know that this isn't about excellence. This is about faking it until you make it. And so we need to have the right awareness. The Lord knows. You ain't hiding nothing from him. Well, you know how busy I am. Yeah, you watching the game. You know how, it's just how tired I am. I, I just work tirelessly. You sure do. Doing what you want to do. We have every excuse under the sun. Well, if they, they respected me a little bit more at the church, then I would be more committed. I'd give my best. I'd tithe more regularly. Who are you tithing to? Who are you serving? As unto the Lord. He said, you make me sick. You're about to make me throw up. You know how that feels. Oh, God. That's a horrible old man. You know, like everything trying to come up. The Lord has said, this is about to come up. All this labor that you're doing in my name, all this nonsense that you're saying that seems to represent spirituality. He said, I'm about to heave this stuff up. It's nauseating. We need to have the awareness that the Lord is watching. You also need to have the Lord's attitude. We need the right attitude. Say right attitude. Listen to verse 16b and 17 says, and I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I didn't say that. So why do you keep saying vomit? Why do you keep saying that? Why do you stop? That's right here in the word. That ain't nice. Well, he, ain't making, he ain't making me feel uncomfortable. Good. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, poor, Pitiful, blind and naked. 
Now, the Lord's attitude should be our attitude. Paul says, let this mind, let this attitude be in you. When you look at your stuff, <laughs> you ought to think and feel about it the way the Lord feels about it. But that's not how the Laodiceans looked at it. They said, we rich. We're clothed. We got vision. And by the way, we so well off. We got this thing so nailed down. We got professional teachers in our congregation. We've got folk that are rich. We got folk that are in governmental positions. We got some important people in our congregation. We're rich. We're clothed. And we got great vision. People talk about the Laodicean church. That was their attitude. But the Lord's attitude, he says, you're wretched. You're pitiful. You're spiritually poor, you're naked, and you're blind. And all of the things that he said they didn't have, they earned, on the physical level, they had all those things. The Lord says, when I look at you, when I look at the way you serve me, when I see how you cheat me with your ties, when I see how you cheat me with the gifts I've given you, when I see how you abuse my body, he says, it turns my stomach. I'm not pleased. I don't grade on the curve. I'm not giving you no get out of jail card just because you read your Bible two weeks ago. Well, the Lord is pleased. No, he's not pleased. His wife said, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He doesn't give us anything less than his best. Am I right about it? When are we going to stop playing, trying to play the Lord? When are we going to stop that? The Lord's attitude was, hey, no, you got messed up. Ain't nothing that so, so, so pleasing. I mean, you, you all know the story of the king without clothes, right? This guy, he, every day, he would change his clothes multiple times, sometimes every hour of the day, instead of working on the kingly assignments, he'd be, in the, he'd be in the mirror changing his wardrobe. And one day some crooks, some, some swindlers recognized the vanity of the king, and they decided that they're going to tell the king that they had this new material that was so ex exquisite and, and so, uh, 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 so, 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 so high in quality that only the most uh, prestigious and the most, uh, 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 the most uh, elevated people in his kingdom the elites would be able to see the clothing that the kingdom wore. And so for months, they worked on this outfit. They worked on this outfit, and then they would call the king in, and they would fit him. And every time they would look, he'd say, he didn't, they had no clothes on, no clothes on. And then they said, well, and they would tell him he was marvelous and fitting, and the material was so magnificent. He was so vain. He said, oh, yeah. And then those who were closest to him, for fear of retribution, they agreed, yeah, king, you're just spectacular. And so finally, after the swindlers got as much money as they could from the king, they decided that they were going to uh, help him set up a, a, a parade. And while he's setting up a parade, they're leaving town. And so the king gets decked out in his birthday suit. And he's leading the parade. Can you just see him? He just left the White House, and he's just marching down, and everybody's, you know, now he got a great gold statue, and now he's marching down, and everybody's just happy about the king. And then one little kid in the, in, in the crowd said, Daddy, the king is butt naked. The king don't have no clothes on. Now, the king, the, the baby, the little boy didn't have sense enough to know that he could have gotten, gotten himself into trouble. 
But he simply just told the truth. And before long, everybody in the crowd started laughing and pointing. The king has no clothes on. The king has no clothes on. I don't care if you think you're rich, if you think you've you, you got vision, and, 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 and you don't need anything from the Lord. The Lord is looking at us when we are lukewarm, and he's saying, you're naked. You're uncovered. You're exposed to me. You need to be aware. You need to have the right attitude. You also need to have the right action. Let me finish with this. The Lord said in verses 18 through 22, I counsel you to buy for me, for me, the refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to have white clothes to wear so that you can recover your shameful nakedness from your shameful nakedness. Then verse 19, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man uh, hears my voice and allows me in, I will come in and eat with, him, eat with him and he with me. And so let me share four things in these verses that the Lord says are the right actions. We know that we need to have the right accountability. We need to have the right awareness. We need to also have the right attitude, but we also need to have the right actions. The first thing the Lord says, rely on me for your deepest needs. He said, buy from me so that you can receive pure gold. You want pure and, 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 and that which is uh, eternal, get it from the Lord. Rely on the Lord for what you need, not from these external things that you're giving all your attention and energy to. Verse 18. Then he says, repent from your sin of going through the motions. He says, so earnestly repent. I want you to stop right whatever you're doing right now and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I have not been giving you my best. I've been ringing it, Lord. I've been going through the motions. I've been, I, I, I'm, I'm capable, but I'm not committed. But Lord, starting right now, I'm going to be committed. He says, repent earnestly. And then another thing in verse 20 he says, I'm knocking at the door. I'm, the church is going on, but I'm outside. I can't get in to my own church. He says, it says, remove all of the hindrances that prevent you from growing in your intimacy with Christ. Whatever is stopping you from opening up the door and allowing the Lord to come in, remove it. The interesting thing about the door that the Lord is saying open, it doesn't have any handles. But he won't force himself in. He won't make you allow him to get closer to you. The Bible said, if you draw near to him, he will draw. But you got to draw near. Open up the door. Remove anything. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, women, whatever you got to remove that's keeping you from developing a passion, a fire, a hunger, a thirst. Nothing is going to keep me from Jesus. If I got to tear down some slats on the roof, just get me to Jesus. If I got to climb up a tree, just get me to Jesus. If I got to crawl on my face, just let me get to the hem of his garment. I'm not going to be deterred. Remove all the hindrances. Then finally, remember his promises. Verse 21, he says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right with me to sit with me on my father's throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father, he says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to reward you if you make me your priority. Stop winging it, church. Stop playing games with the Lord. You can't play God. 
He knows. Some years ago, about 14 to 16 brothers from New Direction made their way down to Baltimore, Maryland, to participate in the Mighty Men of Valor Men's Conference, Dr. Cliff Ash, and praise the Lord, he is recently retired. And uh, we went to a place, I think it was called Jasper's, and uh, we waited, the place was packed out, black owned, and we waited for at least 45 minutes to an hour. I think for even a wait, it took a long, the food finally got there, and man, it was I think, I think that we ate all, all the food off the table. Nothing got out of, nothing left alive. The food was that good. So the following year, that we decided back to Jasper's. So we go and we wait. We all right, because the food's going to be great. By the time we get our food, it's not hot. It ain't cold. It's lukewarm. Anybody ever try to eat some lukewarm food? I don't care. Who prepared? It's nasty. And so here we are with all this great seafood and other entrees and everybody's ready to dig in. And then you go in because we hadn't eaten all day. Now we hungry. You dig in. Oh, my goodness. And I don't know about you. I don't care what I thought about the waiter or the waitress. I don't care how long I got to wait. I'm not eating no lukewarm food because it ain't. You ever eat some seafood that ain't warm? You ever eat some seafood that, oh Lord, it ain't even cold. You can might tolerate a little cold, but it's lukewarm. That stuff that, you know, you eat it, you feel like you're going to gag it right up. So what you do, you send it back because it's beneath what you expected. You should get better. And, and, And so we understand that. But how do you think the Lord feels when we're serving Him up? Anything that we feel like doing, whenever we feel like doing it. And the Lord's supposed to take our lukewarm, our putrid, our stagnant, our mediocre, our average, our thrown together service. No, I hear the Lord say, it makes me sick. And I refuse to accept it. And I will judge you. Stop winging it. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, I come confessing to you that I don't want to have a shallow prayer life. I don't want to settle with what I'm giving to you now out of my tithes and make an excuse. It's a pandemic and we got to be careful. No, God, you're supernatural. You provide. God, I want to think of ways that I can give more, not less. God, forgive me for just being involved in duty and not devotion. Forgive me, Lord, for for play acting to, 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 to let people think I've got it together when I'm not. Forgive me, Lord, for not serving you with a full heart because someone has offended me. Forgive me, Lord, for taking my eyes off of you. Father, I don't want to nauseate you. I don't want to make you sick. I want to be a servant that you say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Father, we thank you and we bless you for this word today. In Christ's name, amen.